Please stand as we open up our service, praising our Lord this morning, uh, singing our new doxology. Let's worship him this morning.
Good morning. Good morning. Okay, you all know about the Let's Connect cards. Remember I said disconnect cards? <laughs> um, if you have a prayer or you have some information you want to share, use those please. If you're new, fill one out. If you are new, we've got a gift for you. See one of us at the kiosk when we leave. <clears throat> Lawn care help. I think we've got that covered, but um, we could always use more. <laughs> the uh, annual spring cleanup day is coming June 3rd. Expect to see all of you there. Um, the tasks that we want to accomplish are listed out on the kiosk area also. VBS announcements. The parade is tomorrow, the 29th. Apparently we have people going to that or participating in that and they want more. So if you want to, please um, see him. <laughs> 10 a.m. for parade lineup. Wear a VBS shirt, red, white, and blue attire, something like that. Sister to sister in prayer. Join the sisters in Christ. It says it doesn't say that here, but I'll correct it for them. For prayer requests, praises, announcements, prayer partners, sign up in the kiosk by June 4th to, see, to receive your partner by June 4th. Women's ministry also needs uh, more committee members, so if you are interested, contact Nancy Tanner, Alicia. Amy, Barb, you know the girls. Okay. We have a verse this morning. I think we're starting at the very beginning. Our call to worship verse today is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Jesus, we humbly come before you to ask your blessing upon this body of believers. We ask for your forgiveness for our many failures. We thank you for how you bless and watch over our congregation. Thank you for those who faithfully teach your word in our Sunday school classes each week, for our elders as they implement strategic curriculum and programming in this important area of discipleship. We ask your blessings upon Don and Angie Hostetler, along with their two daughters, Faith and Micaiah, as they minister in Uganda. Also for her, their daughter, Karis, stateside, finishing her second year of college, Lord. Difficult to be away and a difficult ministry. Lord, to continue to give them all they need so they can serve in this capacity. We continue to pray for relief and healing for Eddie and give Dave and Amanda a peace knowing that you are there. Continue to cover Jerry and Joyce with your protective hand. Lord, we have many, many dealing with cancer 
and other health needs, and you know each one. We ask that your will would be accomplished in each one of those lives. We have a special prayer for the family of the week, Cullen and Anna DeCoup. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the freedom that you have given us, for the price that was paid by Christ so that we could live free. Tomorrow, Lord, we take a day to remember the brave men and women who have sacrificed greatly in our country, the great sacrifice for freedom. We commemorate their memory on Memorial Day in honor of their courage and their service. We pray for all those who wear the uniform. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. Comfort those moms, dads, children, spouses, as only you can. Draw them daily to your word to process their pain and grief with hope. Lord, we thank you that in our nation, we are free to worship, we are free to pray, free to read your word, free to speak, and free to share. We understand, Lord, just how quickly these freedoms can be taken away. Give us an increased awareness of the spiritual battle that we are in. Help us stand. We want to take some time now, Lord, to give back just a small portion of the many blessings that you, you have given each one of us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We look forward to how your will will be accomplished in each of these items. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Holy Spirit. 
in this time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe in this
for worshiping. Please be seated. Well, thank you, Adriel. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Excellent. Uh, I'd like to dismiss the boys and girls for uh, Bible Blast, for their time in God's Word. And uh, as we get started this morning, I just want to mention a couple of things. Just to let me allow, uh, allow me please to just share my uh, blessing and wishes for a great Memorial Day weekend for each and every one of you. Uh, as Tom mentioned, uh, this weekend, especially tomorrow, we, re- we remember the men and women who paid the ultimate price for us and garnered the privileges and freedoms we enjoy as Americans, even though there are many uh, in this day and time who seem to have forgotten all about that, we make the choice to remember and to never forget and remember with the sacrifice that men and women have paid for us to enjoy the many blessings we do as Americans. I think it's also fitting to recognize, I know we have uh, Veterans Day and Armed Forces Day too, but Today, I'd like to also recognize any uh, of the men and women who are, might be in our midst today who are active military or who are veterans. We'd like to express our love and appreciation to you. So either of those folks in this midst, would you just please stand for a moment? Don't be shy, please. Again, we say thank you to all of you. Just a couple other things. Just a reminder that we have our Daystar Native Outreach Mission Trip coming up in August. If you have any interest at all in that, we're going to be having an information meeting this Wednesday evening at 6.30 right here at the church. Uh, so if you want to let me know about that, we're going to be preparing some materials for that meeting. It'd be helpful to know that you're coming. Just let me know or call the office and let us know. We're looking forward to gathering the people who've expressed interest in that mission trip. And then the elders are going to be holding a membership class. Uh, For those of you who are uh, interested in membership at Whitneyville Bible Church, a number of you have expressed interest in membership here at our church, and we've had a a significant number of you actually have done that, and uh, we've kind of trying to come up with a more efficient way to deal with all the numbers of folks. And so what we're going to do is have a membership class on Saturday morning, June 17th. It's going to be at 9 o'clock here at the church from 9 to noon. And it'll be an excellent time to get to know each other, get to know Whitneyville Bible Church, and have you ask any questions of the elders that you want. And we're looking forward to that. And then we're going to be having a special uh, parents meeting coming up in July. We'll tell you more about this. It's also going to be on this Saturday morning, July 8th. But we want to mention it to you. Those of you who are young parents, some of you have come to the elders and asked for advice about different aspects of parenting. And so we're just going to have a morning where we're going to be able to sit together and uh, at, let you ask questions, and we'll pretend we know what it means to be a parent. And uh, remember the story of a fellow who wanted to write a book on parenting, and so uh, by the time he was all done, he, he just tore up his manuscript and said, never mind, each of his kids were so different. But uh, the elders are going to try to work together to help you get some answers about how to, how to raise kids. We live in a challenging time as parents, and so we want to stand with you and support you in that. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like you to join me in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
I'm going to be reading from verses 4 down through verse 9. This is God's Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and you, when, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Let's pray together. So our dear Heavenly Father, this morning as we uh, gather with one another around your word, we're asking you, Holy Spirit, based on the authority of your word, to guide us into understanding, to guide us into truth. Heavenly Father, we're all very aware of our own weaknesses and shortcomings, but thank you for your word that does indeed guide us into truth and instructs us on exactly what we believe. As a person believes in his heart and mind, this will guide the things that he says and does. So would you help us to believe the things that are right and true? In your name I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, amen. I think that I've probably told this story before, but I think it really bears repeating today. I remember hearing about a kindergarten teacher. She told everyone to draw a picture of what was important to them. And in the back of the room, Johnny began to labor over his drawing. Everybody else had finished and handed in their picture, but he, he didn't. He was still drawing furiously, and the teacher graciously walked to the back of the room where he was sitting. She put her arm around Johnny's shoulder, and she said, Johnny, what are you drawing? He never looked up. He just kept working feverishly as he drew, and he said, God. But Johnny, she said gently, no one knows what God looks like. He answered, they will when I'm through. <laughs> that story begs the question, what would your picture of God look like? How well do you know him? Is he important to you? I mean, really important to you? What would you have drawn if you had been in Johnny's class that day? The teacher asked the question to draw a picture of what was important to everyone. In fact, right here at the beginning of the message, I'd like us all to consider what we know and believe about God is what we know about God based on the truth and reality and divine revelation of who he is and what he has said and what he has done, or is it based on our own ideas and imagination of what we want him to be? I'd like us all to consider this question. In truth, what do I know about God do I believe it? And why do I believe it? 
This is such a critical question for each one of us to answer. Uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes on this subject comes from A.W. Tozer. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Well, you think of that statement, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I believe that's true. So today, we begin a new sermon series of messages. The title of the message series is Creed. You'd better believe it. This series is going to wrap up a special emphasis that we've made in the first part of the year as we've been challenged to master the Word of God. You hopefully recall that our elders have implemented a three-year cycle of discipleship emphases based on the statements Jesus Christ made about what it means to be his disciple. We've identified six characteristics of Jesus' disciples by his own words. One, Jesus Christ's disciples master the word. Two, Jesus Christ's disciples deny themselves. Jesus put it this way. If you're really his disciple, you'll take up your cross and follow him each and every day. Third, Jesus Christ's disciples pray. Fourth, Jesus Christ's disciples are spiritually productive. Number five, Jesus Christ's disciples are guardians of their resources. And number six, Jesus Christ's disciples love each other. So each year for three years, we will consider two of these disciplines Jesus calls us to engage with in our lives, if we are in fact truly Jesus' disciples. This year, we've begun this three-year cycle of disciplines by seeing what it means to master the Word of God. We learned that we need to hear, read, study, memorize, meditate on, and apply God's Word. We were reminded that we need to contend for the faith in the face of pretenders who perpetuate false teaching and unrighteous living, even among the church of Jesus Christ. We just finished a series of messages on the alone statements that have been handed down to us from the Reformation era, uh, reminding us that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, based on Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. This new series that we begin today is a basic summary and exposition of the critical doctrines we believe as Christians. The series is called Creed because we will review the various statements found in what has come to be known as the Apostles' Creed. Creed, the word simply means a statement of beliefs. It really is a summary. It doesn't encapsulate every single thing we believe, but it, it covers the, the big rocks, if you will. So in this series, we'll consider what we essentially and critically believe as Christians and why we, we believe it. Let me ask you, do you know what you believe as a Christian, and do you know why you believe it? Do you know what you believe and why? Let me ask you, do you know that? Uh, by God's grace, this series will, 
will help us to bring all of that into focus. Now, the precise origin of the Apostles' Creed, I have to be honest, is shrouded in a little bit of mystery. And though we don't know the precise origin of the words, the Creed does have roots in the Apostles' teaching and the generation of disciples that followed the Apostles in what is known as the Patristic Period. The earliest version of the Creed can be traced all the way back to the second century. It seems to have been used first, listen to this, as a confession at one's baptism. Uh, and it also appears in some martyrdom accounts. By the fifth century, the Apostles' Creed developed into the form as uh, it is now used today. The Apostles' Creed, like all creeds during the patristic era, was composed as a direct response to heresy in defense of the gospel and of the Christian faith. It was intended to be apologetic in nature, that is to be a defense and an explanation. It was meant to summarize and articulate the essentials of the Christian faith against a backdrop of heresy and false teaching. The immediate heresy that was plaguing the church in the late 1st century and into the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries uh, was Gnosticism. We've talked about Gnosticism before. Just as a brief review, Gnosticism denied, among other things, the divine creation, uh, the incarnation of Christ, the deity of Jesus Christ, and salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. All of those doctrines are expressly affirmed in the Apostles' Creed, and for a reason. What I'd like to ask you to do is to stand with me, and we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. It's going to appear here on the screens. This is the Apostles' Creed. Let's, let's read it together. Do you have it? Well then, I'll read it and you just listen then. We'll get it up there next week. Oh, it's in the bulletin. I'm sorry. I guess I missed that memo. Thanks. Let's read it together. Do you see it? All right, let's read it together. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. So we're going to get started with that first statement of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
With that statement echoing in our ears, here's the big idea of the message today. I believe there is only one God. I hope you noticed uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when we read just a little while ago, verse 4 says, listen Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. As you can undoubtedly surmise, this is a vast topic and is certainly broader than we can even hope to develop in one single message. Well, that's why Bible schools and seminaries teach systematic theology courses that have a whole topic on what is called theology proper, that is the doctrine and the study of God as outlined in the pages of Scripture. So let's try to simply introduce ourselves to this vast topic and wrestle through what it means to believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Let's take this phrase apart. First part of that phrase is, I believe in God. By that, I want to emphasize that I believe God is. I believe God is. God is. That is, God exists. Our focus verse today, Deuteronomy 6.4, uses two of the many uh, biblical names to identify the supreme being. Do you see them there? God and Lord. And as you read through the Old Testament, both of these names often appear together, Lord God, very, very frequently. So I just want to take a few moments and consider these two names, God and Lord. God is the Hebrew word Elohim, and uh, it's... It's the word that is most commonly used to identify God. I want us to take note of some scriptures and see what the Bible says about what God is like, who he is and what he's like. We know that God is eternal. That is, that God is without beginning or end. In fact, he gets to define the beginning and the end for our finite thinking. He was at the beginning, and he will be at the end. In fact, he was before the beginning, and he will exist after the end. That's why Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.17, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So God is eternal. Not only that, God is creator. Now we're going to look at this more a little later in the message. But for now, just think of Genesis 5.1. God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. God is creator. God is also king. We sang about that in our worship this morning. Psalm 47, verses 7 and 8. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is the king of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. God is savior. Hosea 13, 4. I have been the Lord your God, he says, ever since the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and no savior exists besides me. God is judge. Psalm 50, verse 6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. 
God is Lord. Psalm 86, 12. I will praise you with all my heart, Lord my God, and will honor your name forever. God is compassionate. Deuteronomy 4, 31. He will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them by oath because of the Lord your God. There it is again, Lord God. There it is because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. God is gracious. Psalm 116 verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteousness. And again, our God is compassionate. God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9, Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. Elohim. It's a name brimming with significance. Uh, There are many more things we could say about the name Elohim, about God. We don't have time to devote the entire message to that. But know that it reveals to us that God is full of power and majesty, that he is king over all. The name God, Elohim, hints even at the Trinity. We'll talk more about the Trinity next time. God, God is. He is Elohim. But Deuteronomy 6.4 told us that he is also Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. This is the name we often use and refer to him as Jehovah. Uh, your translation may something, say something like Yahweh. I think last week I mentioned to you that the Hebrews don't even mention the name. They have the term Hashem that they use, which is simply the name. They will not speak his name. They hold it in such high reverence. We're introduced to this name in Exodus 3.14, where God replies to Moses when when Moses wants to know, who should I say sent me? He says, tell them, I am who I am. This is the principal name God used to reveal himself to Moses, his people Israel, It's the name of the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. The name specifically represents several characteristics of God's nature. I am is self-existent. I am is self-sufficient. And I am is self-sustaining. Let's think about the implications of the name I am for just a moment. I am is self-existent. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the Bible makes no attempt to explain or prove the existence of God. The Bible simply assumes the existence of God and makes no effort to prove him. And of course, the evidence of God exists all around us, doesn't it? Genesis 1.1, the call to worship verse that Tom read for us a few moments ago, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like I said, God was there. At the beginning, Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Why is he called a fool? Because like I said, the evidence of God's existence is all around us. 
Hebrews 11.6, now without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Psalm 90 verse 2, we're told that God is eternally self-existent. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. God is. Jehovah is self-existent. I am is also self-sufficient. The Bible makes this eminently clear over and over and over again. Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12, every animal of the forest is mine, God says, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. If you've ever read the book of Job, you run up against chapters 38 through chapter 41 of the book of Job. You might recall Job has had a hard time of it, really, really rough time. He's bemoaning his miserable situation, and he's had three friends and a fourth who come along and really, quite frankly, add to his misery. And finally, he stomps his feet, and he says, God, show yourself and answer me. I'm a good man. I'm a righteous man. You owe me an explanation. So God does show up for chapter 38, for chapter 39. Chapter 40 and chapter 41, through a barrage of questions, God asks Job where he was when God created everything and who helped God accomplish all his marvelous works of creation. It's an amazing and it's an eloquent tribute to the self-sufficiency of God. At the end of it, Job got the point and he said, I'll be quiet. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 34. God is not dependent on anyone for his thoughts. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? Daniel 4, 35. God is not dependent on anyone for his will. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Hmm. Psalm 115, verse 3, God is not dependent on anyone for his power. Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Psalm 33, verses 10 to 11. God is not dependent on anyone for his counsel. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. God is. Jehovah is self-sufficient. I am is also self-sustaining. Jehovah has no need of anything or anyone outside himself for his substance. He has no need of any external resource to accomplish his existence, his will, his purposes, and his plans. John 1.3, all things were created through him and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. 
Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God is, Jehovah is self-sustaining. God is self-existent, self-sufficient, self-sustaining. I believe God is. I believe in God. Consider the next part of that phrase from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe God is Father. Think about it with me. There are several ways that we've come to know the fatherhood of God. <clears throat> God is Father within the Trinity. Again, we'll talk more about the Trinity next time. But there are many passages of Scripture that identify the three persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One of the most well-known to us is what we call the Great Commission statement out of Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. We could, of course, cite many more passages like that. Jesus is often uh, referring to his heavenly Father as you read the gospel accounts, all the way from his childhood, through his years of ministry, even at his crucifixion, and even after his resurrection. Luke 2, verse 49. You might remember Jesus, along with his parents, Joseph and Mary, had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and they're returning back to Nazareth, and about a day or two into the journey, Mary and Joseph realize Jesus isn't around anywhere. And they make their way, they make their way to retrace their steps and then all the way back in Jerusalem and find Jesus in the temple talking theology with the religious leaders of the day. They ask Jesus, what are you doing here? What's going on? His answer, why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house or to be involved in my father's interests? Little boy. Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus is grateful that uh, the disciples at this particular moment are beginning to understand some of the things that he's been teaching. Many times they weren't quite so bright, a little bit daft, but at this one particular moment they're beginning to understand some things. And Jesus on the spot prays to his heavenly Father. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Of course, you remember at the crucifixion, recorded in Luke 23, verse 46, the last words that Jesus spoke before he expired on the cross. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And then he breathed his last breath. In John chapter 20, verse 17, uh, Mary and Jesus, Mary Magdalene and Jesus have that encounter face to face and she wants to, to reach out and to, to, to touch him and to hold him. And Jesus says to her, don't cling to me since I have not yet ascended to the Father. And of course, we could mention many more statements of Jesus about his Father. 
So God is Father within the Trinity. Not only that, but God is Father of all humanity, Scripture tells us. Of course, God is the progenitor of all humanity. So in that sense, he is the Father of all. The Holy Scriptures affirm this numerous times. One example is in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. Don't all of us have one Father? Didn't one God create us? The answer is yes. But especially, God is father of his people. Especially God is father of his people. Perhaps one of the most stunning revelations about God to us is that he is in an extra special relationship with those who live by faith. This is seen both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in God's dealings with his chosen people Israel and in his association with the church regarding the nation of Israel. Our main passage that we read at the beginning of the, of the message today out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 reminds us of the very special relationship that God has with the nation of Israel. The Lord, our God. Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. This is the end of Moses' career and it is the end of Moses' life. And just before he dies, he shares these words with the people of Israel. The Lord, isn't he your father and creator? Didn't he make you and sustain you? And they all with one voice could say, yes, indeed he did. Regarding the church of Jesus Christ, I love the reference the Bible calls us the family of God. I love that. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 to 6, one of the most amazing unity statements about what it means to be the body of Christ, to be the family of God. It says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and then this, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. I believe God is Father. I believe in God the Father. The next part of that Phrase from the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe God is omnipotent. I love that word. All-powerful is what that word means. The Scripture profusely speaks of God the Almighty. It reveals to us the omnipotence of God at every turn. Here are just a few of those references. Exodus 6, 2 and 3. Then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. That's a Hebrew name, El Shaddai. But I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. There that name is again, the name Yahweh, Jehovah. Notice what that verse tells us about the progressive revelation of God about himself. He first revealed himself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as Jehovah. The covenant name of God uh, comes along here with Moses. Uh, he's known to those of forefathers of the nation of Israel as God Almighty. And then to Moses, he comes and reveals himself as Jehovah, the covenant name. 
God revealed himself in his power and glory so that Moses and the chosen people of Israel, and so we would know he is more than capable of making good on his great and precious promises. Psalm 91, verse 1, the one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. What assurance. What assurance in the face of the fearful, treacherous, and horrific uh, circumstances of life. The Almighty has us covered. If you go to the book of Revelation, we could take the time to look at all these references, but you could. Maybe if we keep up with me and write them down. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 11, verse 17. Chapter 15, verse 3. Chapter 16, verses 7 and 14. Chapter 19, verses 6 and 15. Chapter 21, verse 22. All of these refer to God the, God the Father as the Almighty. I believe in God the Father Almighty. How does God reveal his omnipotence to you and to me? God reveals his omnipotence in several ways. God reveals his omnipotence in his creation. And again, we're going to talk more about God as creator shortly. But for now, know that everything that is seen and unseen in our experience, in space, time, and matter, everything that might even exist beyond that realm that is created, all of it, all of it was brought into existence by God's great power, by God Almighty. Look around, God will manifest to you his almighty power. God reveals his omnipotence and his providence. God did, just, did not just create the universe and everything in it and then walk away. He is intimately acquainted with and involved in, if I can put it this way, the maintenance of his creation and all his creatures. So much so that Jesus said the Father, the Almighty One, is well acquainted with even the little tiniest little bird that might fall from his nest. Let, us, let me remind you of the incredible, unimaginable power regarded, regard, required rather to keep the universe going, to sustain it. Hebrews 1.3, we'll look at this verse a couple more times in the message. God holds everything in the same way that he created it all, simply by the word of his power. Again, we'll talk more about that in a moment, but remember Hebrews 1.3, the, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Think of it. This involves his sustaining not only this vast universe, but even each of our mental capacities and their circulatory, respiratory, nervous systems as he accomplishes his wise and loving purposes. The vast extent of God's providence goes beyond our ability to even comprehend. That's because he is almighty, the omnipotent one. God reveals his omnipotence in his salvation. From before time, as we know it, Scripture tells us, God had a marvelous plan of salvation and redemption. 
his indescribable creativity and imagination to design and implement this plan staggers the mind. But God did it because of and through his great power. That's why God told Abraham, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's why the angel Gabriel told the unsuspecting young girl, Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. And in the unfolding of the marvelous plan of salvation through God's Son, Jesus Christ, his power over life, over sin and death has been gloriously manifested to all of humanity. This is why Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God reveals his omnipotence in his judgments. That marvelous second chapter of Philippians says it all. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God the Father. Dear ones, the first time that Jesus came, he came as Savior. But the second time when he comes again, he will come to judge the world and set up his kingdom and it will be with great power and glory. We'll talk about that more later in this series. Matthew 24 verse 30 emphasizes the point. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Those of us who know his power and have seen it at work in God's creation, in God's providence, and in God's salvation, will praise his judgments and redemption wrought by his almighty hand. Revelation 19, 1 to 2. John is trying to explain to us what he sees at the end of time and in the glorious throne room of God. After this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. That God is almighty has significant implications for us. His great power gives us confidence in life. That's right. In this life and the life to come. Stop and think for a moment what God can do because of his great power. What can God do? He's able to keep his promises. What can God do? He's able to make me stand firm. What can God do? He's able to do more than I can ask or imagine. What can God do? He's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. What can God do? He's able to keep me from stumbling. I believe God is almighty. I believe God is omnipotent. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Again, think through that phrase from the Apostles' Creed. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, dear ones, I'm going to take more time on this point, perhaps. I don't know. I didn't actually measure out the words, but I'm making a point out of this because there are heresies that are penetrating our culture and the church even today. They want to dismiss the idea that God is the creator. He didn't make heaven and earth. I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of God's word, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Our scripture, our scriptures start with a rather straightforward yet profound statement. Again, the one that, that Tom read for us just a few moments ago is the call to worship, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I suppose it's obvious enough, but I will still state the fact anyway. No one else was there at the beginning. The creation of the universe was not dependent on anyone else other than God. Even though the universe is a magnificent wonder for us to behold and to contemplate, it was not there in the beginning. Even though our planet is a unique jewel among the myriad of objects in space, it was not there in the beginning. And even though it appears that all of the universe and this glorious place we call home was especially created for our observation and comfort, no human being or any other creature was there in the beginning. Again, Job 38. You remember what, <laughs> what God said to Job? Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me. Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Oh, certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? When we come to the opening chapters of Genesis, a couple of things are clear. Very clear. First, God is the creator. Not random chance processes or some other evolutionary nonsense. Second, the literal, historical, grammatical, contextual method of interpretation, the method that we use to interpret all of Scripture, by the way, and the method that we use to interpret virtually any other text, whether it's ancient or as current as our newspaper or the label on the bottle of salad dressing at the grocery store, that literal, historical, grammatical, contextual interpretation method allows for a singular understanding of the creation week. Consequently, the plain sense of the text demands six literal days of creation. The repeated use of the word and to begin every verse of chapter 1 starting at verse 2 indicates a clear and straight forward and systematic process and progress of the creation events. Days one, two, and three. Days of forming, water, dry ground, vegetation. Days four through six were days of filling 
all of the different spaces he made on the first three days. The celestial lights, the sea creatures and fish, birds of the sky, land animals and humanity. So ask yourself, what happened at the beginning? Consider what God did in the beginning. As we read those verses, we find out that God created time. Nothing can be clearer than this phrase opening the pages of the Bible. Before this beginning, there was nothing in existence apart from the one who caused all things to exist. Time, space, matter first come into being here. God was the first cause of all things. The Hebrew word, Barasheth, which happens to be the Hebrew name for the first book of the Bible, means beginning, first, best, or chief in time, chief in place, or order, or rank. The word is a reference to the beginning of time as we know it. The context will will not allow a manipulation of the text by translating it something like, as some try to do, when God began to create, or some other awkward rendering in an attempt to leave the door open for evolutionary processes. This is a clear, straightforward statement that God is responsible for the creation of time. He is the one who got the clock ticking. God created time. God created space. The text says, God created the heavens. The Bible uses the word heaven or heavens in several different ways. The Hebrew concept of heaven included three heavens. The first heaven describes what we would call the atmosphere. This is obviously not what's meant in verse 1 because the earth as a planet with its atmosphere had not been formed on day one yet. The third Heaven describes the dwelling place of God, which is in his eternal presence. So this is not a reference to glory either. The second heaven was a term that the Hebrews used to describe what we would call the universe or space. Speaking of the origin of the universe and space, what is spoken of here in Genesis 1.1. And it's the most straightforward and basic sense the text is speaking about the creation of of the essential elements of space. God created time, God created space, and God created matter. The text also says that God created the earth. So God also created the earth on day one of creation week. This word for earth is the the Hebrew word eretz, and it can mean different things depending on its context. For example, it can mean dust, or dirt. It could even be used to describe a region or a territory on earth. For example, the phrase of the land of Israel, the Eretz of Israel, is one way that that word is used. And it can even be used in some places in the Bible as a complete reference to all of the earth. So as you read through the entire chapter of Genesis 1, you recognize that, uh, that it's describing the creation of the material of the universe that would later be organized into fully formed planets, stars, and the world on the subsequent days of creation week. This is essentially the stuff of creation, matter. When it was created, the earth and the rest of the universe was formless and shapeless and empty. 
all enmeshed in what the writer says here in Genesis 1, a watery matrix, all of which was engulfed in, in the dark. Once this space, matter, and time triunity was created, making could begin. So God energized the universe. Once God created the heavens and the earth, his next step was to start the processes that make the universe function energy and gravity and that sort of thing. He did this through the third person of the Trinity, we're told, the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in creation on day one was to energize the earth in order to prepare it for the rest of the creation events. The text says that the Holy Spirit was hovering, moving over the presence of the waters. Whatever was being done in the beginning involved the very personal touch of the omnipotent and omniscient creator. Everything was prepared now for God to begin creating the various components of the, wor of the world and the universe. God, the source of all energy, powered up the universe and began to create a beautiful world in it which he would place his special creation and object of his attention and love, humanity. As you read through the Genesis 1 narrative, you cannot escape the primary mechanism of God's creative accomplishment. Please listen. God said. God said. Over and over. It's right there. Over and over. Mark it in your Bibles. God said. Psalm 148.5 explains, let the objects of creation praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. Hebrews 11.3 again, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Scripture makes it crystal clear that out of nothing and by just his mere words, God created everything that exists. He didn't need to go over to Home Depot and collect a bunch of resources. He didn't need to gather this or that. He simply spoke everything into existence. Amen. Evolution suggests that no one plus nothing equals everything. But our sensibilities are bothered by such foolishness when we get gut level honest and really examine the facts all around us. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke it, and it came into being. He commanded, and it came into existence. The other night before I went to bed, I stepped out the front door and looked up into a beautifully clear sky. And this passage of Scripture came to mind as I looked at all of the stars. He spoke, and there they were. By his words, he effortlessly created a universe so vast that at the speed of light, that's 186,000 miles per second, 
it would take about 100,000 years to, to travel across just our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, which contains some 200 billion stars and other celestial objects. When you think that our galaxy is only one of billions of galaxies, you can begin to grasp the vastness of the universe God created by his word alone. In fact, Romans 1 tells us his eternal power is continually manifest throughout all creation. God created. The text says, in the beginning, God created. The word created is translated from the Hebrew word bara and means to create, to shape, or to fashion, to bring into existence. It is from this Hebrew concept we, that we derive the Latin expression ex nihilo, out of nothing. Out of nothing. This word is only used of God in the biblical record. And bara is used in Genesis 1 to describe what God did on days 1, 5, and 6. God created, God also made, Genesis 1, 7 reads, and God made. The word made is the Hebrew word asa and means to do, to accomplish, to make, to organize, to structure. It is used throughout the creation account beginning in verse 7. You want to make a note of it, you can mark it in your Bible, verse 11, verse 12, verse six, uh, 16. 25, 26, 31, and then over in chapter 2 and verses 2, 3, and 4, it occurs again. It's used on days 2, 3, and 4 of the creation week. God created, God made, and then we're told that God formed. God formed in the Genesis 2 summary of creation that particularly speaks of the personal involvement of the creator with man Another word is introduced to describe how God accomplished his creative work in the beginning. In Genesis 2, verses 7, 8, and 19, the Hebrew word yatsar is used in reference to mankind and animals, respectively. The word yatsar also means to form, to fashion, but carries an additional connotation to it. Yatsar is a very personal and intimate word that goes beyond simply making something. The word implies a very personal, hands-on involvement, like sculpting, like painting, or like composing, or using the voice to sing. Something much more personal and intimate and emotive than just simply doing something. The most vivid example of the use of this word is reserved for the creator's personal involvement in forming, sculpting the body of Adam, Genesis 2-7. The concept of God's personal involvement in shaping and forming our lives is carried even beyond the work of bringing Adam into existence. 
The Bible goes on to use it to describe God's involvement in our lives even now. I hope you remember and are impressed with the big idea of the message. I believe there is only one God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I'd like to ask you to close your Bible and to put your notes away for a moment. Maybe even bow your head and close your eyes as you listen. Would you allow me to just ask you some questions as we draw the message to a close today? What does it mean to believe in something or someone? Do you believe in God? Why? Or why not? In what ways is God a father? And in what ways have you experienced God as father? If you can imagine it, what is the extent of God's power? What are the limits to God's power? Are there any? Is there anything that God cannot do? Didn't have time in the message today, but in fact there are some things that God cannot do, and it is because of His great power. Ask yourself this question there in the silence of this moment. What are the implications for each of us that God is creator and he is my creator? Oh, if you haven't already, I implore you to believe in God. If you already do believe in God, I want to encourage you to write out this week, write out an action plan to know him more and better. You will never plumb the depths of all of who God is and what he is like. Put yourself on a path to know him more and better. So dear Heavenly Father, I suppose for many of us it feels like we've been drinking from the fire hydrant today. Just a huge, vast amount of information. Some of that is out of necessity because of the vastness of your great self. Some of it is out of intentionality to help to overwhelm us with your magnificent self. 
Lord, some of us need to confess right here and now that we don't really give you much of a thought. What a tragedy. When we stop to think, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Help us to know you, to believe in you in spirit and in truth, and to be able to affirm individually and collectively, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we entrust this and everything we believe to you, great omnipotent one. Amen. Let's stand.
So as you get ready to leave today, I want to remind you of a couple things. Uh, ladies, the Sister to Sister uh, Prayer Initiative, is uh, today's the final day to sign up, and you can do that on the sign-up table just to your right outside in the, uh, outside the worship center. And then spring cleanup days, June 3rd. Make sure you sign up to participate in that. Um, as we go, hear these words out of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. There is one God, the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. So walk with the King. Be a blessing. Have a great day.